Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of SEPADPOD, the Sectarianism, Proxies and Desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Maybon, and today I'm joined by Chris Phillips. Chris is a reader at Queen Mary University. He's the author of the absolutely fantastic The Battle for Syria. Um, most of you will know that book and indeed his work more broadly. But Chris is here today to record a special episode to reflect on recent events in Syria. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure as always, Simon. The pleasure is ours, Chris. Um, As always, it's really exciting to get you on and to uh, talk about some really um, depressing topics, I guess. As I said to Fanar, hopefully one day we'll get to talk about something a little bit more cheery. But uh, in lieu of that, Chris, what's going on in Syria? What's been happening and and how do we unpack all of these these complicated affairs? Uh, Well... The recent events that have really uh, captured people's attention and drawn a lot of uh, media coverage is Turkey's incursion into Syria. Um, uh, this is not Turkey's first incursion. Um, they they first went in in uh, 2016, uh, and uh, soon after that, uh, they went in uh, into Afrin in 2018 as well. But this is probably the most dramatic and arguably most violent incursion uh, that has taken place uh, from the Turks uh, within Syria since the, the Syria conflict broke out in 2011. And really, I, I would see it as uh, three key events that have really turned uh, this element of the Syria conflict on its head uh, somewhat. So the first event, the sort of the one that's captured, uh, well, attracted a lot of attention is a telephone call between Donald Trump and the president of Turkey, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, uh, on the, the 6th of October, when by telephone he seemed to give a green light to Turkey's quite long-term plan of directly invading northeastern Syria as a means to push uh, Kurdish-dominated forces um, from the, the U.S.-backed Syri- uh, Syrian Democratic forces away from the Turkish border. Uh, and pretty soon after that, Trump announced by tweet that this was going to occur, that he was withdrawing troops uh, from the, the border area, and he was effectively endorsing Turkey's intervention. Right. The, the second event that happened almost immediately afterwards, the next day on the 7th of October, was Turkey then launching this invasion, um, uh, particularly centered around two border towns, uh, Ras al Ain and um, Tal Abyad, where uh, Turkey and its Syrian uh, militia allies, the, the sort of Turkish backed Free Syrian Army, uh, launched an assault directly against. Uh, well, Kurdish majority forces of the Syrian Democratic Front, and um, and and you know that set off a wave of refugees flooding internally um, uh, in into sort of like more central eastern Syria, prompting uh, significant clashes between uh, again Kurdish dominated forces and Turkey and its uh, proxy Syrian allies. But then the kind of really dramatic event, in my opinion then occurred uh, uh, very recently, on the, on the 13th of October, a few days later, when uh, the, the Syrian Democratic Forces, the SDF, struck a deal with the Assad regime, right. uh, which was brokered by Russia. And in that deal, they basically, uh, it's very recent, this only happened a few days ago, 
they basically agreed to allow Assad's forces, the Syrian Arab army, to move back into uh, the areas that it had been holding uh, as a means to protect themselves from this sort of Turkish invasion. Now, not everywhere that they held uh, has been agreed to be returned to the Assad regime, but it's important uh, places right on the sort of the, the front line of, of this war, notably the towns of Mandij and Kobani, um, that have been agreed to be handed back to Assad. So what we've seen, and it's still you know, uh, you know, playing out now, is a situation whereby this part of eastern Syria, which really since sort of 20, well, since 2012 has been dominated by Kurdish forces, and then since the defeat of ISIS has been dominated by the Syrian Democratic um, forces, which are a combination of Turkish and Arab forces, but backed by the United States, has suddenly been transformed firstly into a kind of a conflict zone, but then one that is going to be dominated now by Assad and by Russia, rather than by uh, by the uh, by, the U.S. and its um, uh, uh, Kurdish allies. So, you know, it's still playing out at the moment, but it's a real transformation in the dynamics of the conflict there. Yeah, it sounds it. Um, can you say a little bit about what's happened since this this phone call and the invasion? I mean, what what's happening right now on the ground in this uh, in this security belt? I believe they called it. Right. Well, a lot is happening at the moment. So um, Tur Turkey and its Syrian allies, the Turkish Free Syrian Army, uh, are um, moving into several different areas. They're primarily focused on these towns of Tal Abyad and Ras and moving further in line up to uh, the... They seem to be focusing on a, a particular road, the M4 uh, highway, uh, which was the edge of that security zone that Turkey wanted to carve out. And in quite a few instances, they're fighting directly with um, Kurdish forces uh, uh, of the Syrian Democratic Front uh, uh, who are trying to stop them from, from moving into those areas. Uh, they're also amassing on the border of Manbij, which is another town a little bit further west, uh, which they also uh, have designs on. Now, what's happening at the same time as, as the uh, Kurdish forces are trying to fight against them uh, Assad's forces are moving from the west uh, up into those Kurdish areas or Kurdish-dominated areas with the agreement now of the SDF. Uh, and they've already moved into uh, the town of Manbij, which um, and, and are pushing out. Uh, uh, apparently, I read today that, that Russian forces actually have now moved into the uh, the to basically stand in the way of uh, Assad's forces and Turkish forces in order to stop them from fighting. Uh, and Assad's forces are also moving even deeper into uh, some of those areas, securing uh, provisional towns like Hasake. Uh, well, they, they've raised Assad's flag in Raqqa, which was the originally the ISIS capital. Mm. Um, they're even talking about them moving into Karmishli, which is this sort of uh, Kurdish provincial capital uh, way out in the far northeast. So we're seeing rapid movement on the ground, but the, the trend is uh, uh, an effective alliance between Kurdish and uh, Kurdish forces and Assad's forces as a means to uh, you know limit. Uh, and contain initially this Turkish invasion uh, with the uh, declared objective of pushing it back. Now, I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. I think there probably will be some areas that Turkey and its allies permanently capture 
at least for the medium term. But um, I think this alliance between the Kurds and, and Assad are uh, sort of the Kurdish forces and Assad is going to uh, prevent them from achieving dominance over that entire uh, uh, de-escalation safety zone that they wanted to capture initially. Sure. I mean, Chris, this is such a dramatic turn of events. Uh, to, to what extent were you surprised by the agreement between the, the Kurdish groups and the Assad regime, given their, their long and complex history? Well, I wasn't surprised that it occurred. I was surprised that it happened so quickly. I, I think that as soon as Trump gave the green light to Turkey's invasion, that was an indication to, um, the, well, to the PYD, which is the dominant force uh, in the SDF. A Kurdish um, uh, political group with 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 a militant arm, and it, it made it pretty clear to them that uh, the United States wasn't going to support them anymore and was going to go. And in fact, within a few days of the, the initial um, invasion, Trump announced that all uh, U.S. troops in Syria were going to be removed. And indeed, uh, soon after that, in fact, I think today, um, it was announced that uh, British uh, and French special forces were going to evacuate as well. So it became pretty clear that this green light from the United States wasn't just about a localised uh, uh, permission, permitting of Turkey into a part of eastern Syria. It was an indication that the US was going to go. And with... In that circumstance, uh, the SDF leadership were basically caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Uh, they looked at, you know, they didn't have the U.S. support anymore, so they were faced with either potential destruction by Turkey or looking back to Assad and, importantly, Russia to act as some kind of protector to protect what, you know, limited uh, uh, gains and, and limited territory they had left. And that's what sort of, you know, pushed them in that direction now. As you alluded to, they they have a complex history. The 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 PYD um, uh, was a kind of a you know, a frenemy to Assad in the past. You know, uh, right. Assad and his father before him has not been wholly against the existence of the PYD and their a Turkish affiliate, the PKK. They've used them in the past to harass Turkey during the the Cold War. Uh, and more recently, there seemed to be informal agreements whereby when Assad's forces withdrew from eastern Syria uh, uh, during the height of the civil war, they seemed to endorse the PYD taking over those areas as opposed to other Kurdish or rebel groups. So th there's a degree of sort of uh, uh, interaction between them. And indeed, there's quite deep connections that were drawn upon uh, to, ena to enable and facilitate these talks. Indeed, actually, some talks have been going on earlier than this, even before Turkey's intervention. So there was always a question mark over whether or not they might reconcile. And it seems to have been Russia's uh, intention all along to do something like this. So it's not surprising that faced with this existential threat of an, uh, an assault from Turkey and the withdrawal of U.S. support, that eventually they ran back into the arms of Assad and Russia. But what, to me, is surprising was the speed of it all. This is all within a matter of days, yeah. whereas I think I, I was personally expecting, you know, uh, several weeks or even months worth of fighting before this kind of reconciliation uh, agreement between Assad and the Kurds was brokered. But I guess that, that demonstrates the the existential fear that that you're talking about there the the might of the Turkish military facing the the Kurdish militias that have been I guess really 
um, battle wearied by the the struggle against Daesh. So, Chris, I was just going to ask, what has the response been amongst amongst Kurdish groups and and across Syria to this then? Well, uh, of course, the, the the general you know impression that that I've received from people that I know and and, and people that are you know wider reports that are coming out uh, of this is this you know profound sense of betrayal from uh, from most Kurds towards um, uh, towards America and towards the West, but particularly towards Trump. Uh, you know, there was this sense that uh the, the 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 United States had uh, promised the the Syrian democratic forces that they wouldn't abandon them despite the US having a long history of of selling out the Kurds especially in Iraq there was this sort of the promises made on the ground by by command by you know military commanders western military commanders that you know they were going to stand by them that they would protect them from the, the twin threat of uh, Turkey and Assad, uh, and you know, you bear in mind that you know not all uh, Kurds support the PYD or, or PKK, um, but they were quite happy with this kind of you know autonomous uh, area that they were living in under a degree of U.S. protection. And so for them, the, the prospect of either conquest by Turkey, who they're terrified of, given their history of uh, yeah. um, uh, oppressing uh, Kurds w- within Turkey or fighting the PYD within Turkey. Uh, and they're also very scared of Assad, given the, the history of living under the regime they've had in the past. Um, you know, they, they, they absolutely feel sold out by uh, an American uh, government who, who they have placed their trust in, that the, the outcome has really you know let them let them down um of course this is also why there's been a huge amount of opposition uh from within the the, the american political establishment to this move by donald trump um you know uh, a lot within the security establishment are incredibly angry that these uh, allies that, that have fought alongside u.s forces and done most of the heavy lifting and heavy fighting and lost lost over ten thousand fighters in the in the fight with isis uh, have been betrayed um and of course of the wider political establishment are very worried that this is really damaging the u.s's reputation that you know if the 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 u.s government are willing to abandon so quickly uh, uh allies like this who have fought you know who they fought alongside for so long against isis what does that mean for their other alliances in the the region and the wider world are they so um uh, uh, shallow that the that the U.S. will sort of sell them out, you know, by a by a telephone call so yeah. quickly, uh, and that's really worried some sort of you know political actors within the United States that that this is going to do really quite profound damage to the U.S. position in the Middle East and the wider world. Yeah, I don't think that at all is is surprising, particularly when you see the the widespread condemnation from from even members of, of Trump's own Republican Party. Absolutely. I mean, you, 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 you've seen sort of really quite high-profile people like Lindsey Graham being incredibly uh, uh, confrontational and, and critical of, of Trump, which is which is a rarity. You know, the Republicans have largely fallen behind Trump on on, on most political issues since he's become president, and you know the the outcry has been enormous. And, and what's interesting is that you have seen some response from Trump. He, um, I think it was today or yesterday, announced um, a quite odd set of. Uh, sanctions against Turkey in response 
to um, you know, th this invasion, which a few days, well, several days before, he seemed to have uh, you know, given a green light to. Uh, so there's certainly a degree of inconsistency from Trump, which um, isn't surprising. That seems to have been his modus operandi um, with regard to sort of foreign policy since becoming president. Um, but I think it does also indicate, you know, the speed with which he's changed tack does indicate perhaps a recognition of the, the level of outcry that we've seen uh, uh, in the US against this move. Mm. So, Chris, moving forward then, uh, I guess there are, there are two really important questions that, that could well be taken together, I guess. So I'll, I'll pose them together. But the first one is, is what happens next? Where do you see this going? And, and the second one is how do we stop or how, how does anyone stop this from, from getting out of hand and becoming an incredibly messy and devastating situation, more so than it already is? Good but difficult questions. Uh, in terms of moving forward, uh, I, I think that um, a lot is going to uh, depend on uh, the extent to which Russia and Turkey can reach some kind of agreement, some kind of new set of red lines being established. I, I personally uh, would be surprised if Russia wasn't fully aware of Turkey's intentions to invade. They've worked quite closely together uh, on the Syria conflict um, since you know, 2016, really. And I suspect that uh, there was some kind of uh, uh, prior knowledge by the Russians that this was going to take place, uh, which, of course, you know, uh, the the outcome of this invasion has really been to, to Russia's favour. It's, it's given, it's, it, it's been a way of them persuading uh, the SDF to you know fall back into uh, line with Assad, which you know has meant that Assad has has been able to obtain huge swathes of territory that he wouldn't have been able to attain were he to take on the Kurds and the SDF militarily. So that's certainly in, in Russia's favour. So I think uh, a lot will depend on whether or not um, Russia and Turkey can reach some kind of agreement to uh, de-escalate the situation. If they can, then I imagine we'll see uh, uh, a limited Turkish um, zone of, of, of influence over some of the areas that it's targeting at the moment um, uh, that will look a little bit like the areas it already uh, effectively controls in Afrin and Jirablus and the, the area we know as Euphrates Shield in uh, northern Syria, uh, with the rest being uh, uh, a question of, uh, of how Assad uh, and his forces are able to reassert control over the Kurdish-dominated areas um, in, in the rest of eastern Syria. That's not 100% guaranteed, by the way. I think there's still some agreements to be hammered out between uh, the PYD and Assad. And some niggling question marks over whether or not the U.S. Uh, U.S. forces are going to be completely removed, especially in the uh, the eastern areas around um, the Al Omar uh, oil fields in Deir Zor, which the Assad regime really wants to get hold of to, to help solve 
its fuel crisis. Yeah. So I think that's sort of how the picture is going to look. There's a, a question, of course, about what happens with ISIS. You know, yeah. you, you've, there's a good chance that, that this move will uh, revitalize ISIS. You know, uh, we've already seen reports of uh, prisoners escaping from Kurdish guarded prisons in the chaos. Uh, and of course, the sort of the, the prospect that people that feel betrayed by the U.S. or uh, are worried about um, the return of Assad's rule might end up uh, rejoining or, or joining uh, sort of ISIS cells and so on that are, are bent on revenge. So we might see sort of like a, a revival there. But I think in terms of how the conflict is going to play out in Syria. Yeah, I think I think that in all likelihood, um, we're going to see a, a a simplification, perhaps, of some of the complexities, whereby uh, most of Syria will will now be controlled by Assad, with a few areas of Turkish influence in the north, uh, those areas that it's conquering now, alongside those that it already has, plus Idlib. Right. Uh, your 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 other question about how do we ensure that. I mean, the big question is, is always, who is we? You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. In terms of Western governments, uh, I, I suppose that the the obvious thing to do is to try try to find mechanisms by which to pressure Turkey to uh, limit its its attacks. Uh, but of course, um, with regard to how Syria. Uh, you know, conflict inside Syria will then play out. It's very difficult because, of course, by removing Western combat forces from the area, you've sacrificed your leverage. So uh, in many ways, what the West has done uh, in the last few days is completely give over the, the Syria brief as such, almost entirely to Russia and Turkey. Uh, and it will be a question, I think, of whether or not those two can hammer out this question. Of course, Assad and Iran will also play a role in, 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 in what happens on the ground. Um, but I think ultimately this particular conflict is going to be a question of how those two powers are able to uh, hammer out their differences and, and reach some kind of, uh, uh, you know, agreement. Yeah. And Chris, we've taken up a lot of time already, but if I may, I'll just ask one one very last question. And that is, uh, what are the, the broader regional repercussions of this this set of issues. What do you think that? What do you think this will do to regional politics more broadly, if anything? Well, I, so I, I think that the, the impact of this has been somewhat exaggerated. Um, I, you know, I, I read a few articles where where some analysts were saying this is going to change the whole Middle East. I, I don't think it is. Uh, I, I think it's quite localized and it's affecting a, a, a few powers. I think that it it. Uh, on the, I think, for one thing, it, it further confirms the diminishment of the U.S.'s reputation in the region. Right. I think that that's something that's been occurring for a long time, really over over a whole decade, um, from the Bush era to the Obama era, and now on to Trump. And it just confirms that, uh, you know, the, the 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 sense that the U.S. is not a reliable ally, uh, having abandoned the Kurds like this, um, will reverberate elsewhere. Um, I don't think that means that states like Saudi Arabia, for example, are going to abandon their alliance with the United States. But I do think it it will uh, further, uh, in, in, I suppose, increase their their scepticism about 
the reliability of the US as, as an ally and increase their willingness to look to others such as Russia and China, not as alternatives to the United States, uh, but, you know, increase their friendliness and willingness to uh, engage with them and, and entertain them as a, as a co-ally, perhaps, alongside the US. Um, so related to that, this enhances Russia's position. It, it, it enhances it itself as this kind of indispensable player in Syria, and by extension, uh, relating to perhaps the Israel-Iran conflict, um, a position in Lebanon, and perhaps Iraq as well. Uh, it doesn't necessarily extend much beyond that, as um, uh, as some have, have suggested, uh, but it does certainly strengthen Russia's position. I think it further weakens... Uh, the U.S.-Turkey relationship, given the, the various bad blood that's that's been thrown around in response to this, at a wider societal level, if not at a sort of the executive level, I think Trump and Erdogan are clearly close. But if you look at some of the the vitriol that's been thrown at Turkey from within the the, the American political establishment, the kind of language it's being used, sort of you know commentators saying that Turkey should be booted out of NATO and this kind of thing, you know, you know Turks read American newspapers and they're aware of this kind of thing. That that you know that will reverberate again. I think a little bit further. I don't think it's going to shatter the relationship, but it, it further weakens it. And then I suppose, um, you know. More locally, it strengthens Assad's hand. Like I say, he, he, he's regaining um, uh, considerable territory. And I think this will also play out uh, to strengthen his position in terms of conquering Idlib as well in the, in the, in the long term. And of course, uh, finally, I suppose it's yet another sadly, you know, um, uh, negative uh, Consequence, or so it's a negative effect for the, the the broader cause of of Kurdish, you know, autonomy and or independence. You know that you uh, just the very you know it came about in you know, strange circumstances, but for the last five or six years, uh, eastern Syria has been ruled over by a Kurdish-dominated government. Uh, you know, with its own kind of. Uh, Governance structures in place, uh, which which some have been very sort of supportive of outside of that region. But for Kurds inside uh, that area, it was the, the first time ever that they'd you know had a sense of self government, and and that is probably going to be eroded. Whatever deal's been struck between Assad and and the PYD, I, I suspect, uh, yeah. Uh, Assad has shown himself in the past to not really honour these kind of agreements, and I think most people would expect in the long term any sense of Kurdish autonomy to be, you know, eroded and, 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 and removed. So, you know, what effect that has in the, in the, the medium to long term on the sort of the broader cause of Kurdish autonomy, Kurdish culture, Kurdish nationalism, I don't know, but I don't think it's likely to be very positive. So that's a, you know, a pretty serious uh, localised consequence of, uh, of, of this uh, operation. Yeah, that's um, quite a depressing picture that you're painting there, Chris, unsurprisingly. Sadly so, yeah. yeah. But thank you for, for taking the time to talk us through this. Um, there's a lot to digest and uh, yeah, a lot to, to reflect on, I guess. But thank you, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you again, and I look forward to speaking again sometime soon. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.